Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed your lunch. Welcome to our question and answer period. Just a reminder that Testing, test, test, testing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the question and answer period of the session. Just a reminder that uh, our presenter is John King, the manager of Lethbridge Transit, and he's speaking on the sustainability of transit, specifically in Lethbridge. Our topic next week is, is Lethbridge an arts community? That will be presented by Suzanne Lint, the executive director of the Allied Arts Council, and will be moderated by Susan Giffen. Upcoming sessions are listed on our website at sacpa.ca. This and other sessions can be heard in audio on the website, where written session comments also can be posted to keep the discussion going. A suggestion box is being placed in the lobby for any of your ideas or any complaints you might have. And we'd like to invite John King back to the podium at this time. We'd like to invite you to ask him any questions you might have that came up in your discussions at your tables. And when you come to ask uh, Mr. King your questions, to use the microphone back in this corner here. Please state your name, keep your comments brief, and, and limit your questions to a single question. Great. Mr. King. Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you a pretty hard question, John. Go for it. <laughs> How do you get uh, people to ride the buses? I have uh, traveled a fair amount around the world in the, in, in the majority world where, of course, many places uh, the buses only leave when they're full, and it can be argued some places in Lafayette, the bus would never leave if, if, <laughs> if uh, you waited till it was full. Uh, yeah, how do you get change people's attitudes so they will ride the buses? And I, I feel very guilty myself because when I was traveling, it was fantastic. I loved it. But as soon as I got home, I was back in the car. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. There are... Uh when I talked earlier about service standards and trying to provide transit service across the, the city, you're absolutely right. There are areas where 
you're right, we would never fill the bus for a few hours. So, uh, uh, because partly the density of the city, uh, very much urban sprawl time of the, uh, type of city. A lot of the new developments are single unit housing. So definitely that's an issue. But I think part of it is, is uh, and we're struggling with that right now. Uh, you've heard the movie, Build It, They Will Come. And well, we've built it and they're just not coming yet. So uh, one of the things we have to look at is actually getting people thinking about it, getting people aware of, of what it is. Uh, even at our table, we were talking um, a lot of places in, in, in southern Alberta and in our community, you absolutely need to have a, a private automobile. And so maybe our target is let Lethbridge Transit be your second car as opposed to your first car. And in a lot of ways, uh, uh, that, that if we can get that message across. Another thing is, is uh, a lot of people have grown up in rural Alberta or rural communities, moved into Lethbridge, and we've been told this by a number of people. I don't even know how to get on a bus. So there's a lot of uh, uh, those issues that we have to overcome as well. Um, it is a car-oriented community, and uh, our best bet is just to keep building. Um, when I look at, at this, um, we're going to have to start concentrating more and more on, on younger people, university students, college students, uh, because uh, a lot of people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who've never ridden a bus, we're, they're not going to ride. So we have to start looking at where we can start getting our markets and, uh, and concentrating on them. Um, we did try a few years ago, you probably recall, getting a U-Pass at university. Unfortunately, that failed, but that would have, uh, would have helped us a lot. And uh, we haven't given up on that option either. As we speak, we're, uh, we're working with the Students' Union to see if we can have another go at it in a year or two. And that would certainly help us because it would be uh, providing extra service and, uh, to people who are probably more inclined to use transit in the first place. The, the younger generation, uh, seriously, um, all this is, this is kind of cute, uh, seriously are, are talking a different language than their parents when it comes to uh, public transportation, sustainability, environmental uh, sustainability, those kinds of things. So definitely that we have to target market. We can put ads on TV, radio, and such. That's not going to do it. We have to start honing in on the groups that are more inclined to use it and, uh, and promote it. Um, we need some, some champions in the community as well. Example, we have one woman who lives in Ridgewood who works downtown. She walks to the university, catches a bus from there. She says uh, the 10-minute walk is great exercise and a good way to clear your head at the end of the day, those kinds of things. So we have to start building with champions like that. <laughs> Hi, my name's Ian McKenna. Um, you said that one of your goals was to, to kind of uh, green energy sort of thing, you know, and uh, get rid of some of the carbon footprint. Um, mm -hmm. I find that strange given, you know, how your buses go around uh, spewing out this stuff uh, greatly. Um, my question now goes further back when uh, places like uh, Edinburgh in Scotland got rid of streetcars, electric streetcars. Uh, I guess we used to have them in Lethbridge too. Uh, and I guess my question is, why don't we now? Edinburgh has actually uh, relayed the tracks. It's cost them millions of pounds uh, to, to do this. Uh, so they must think it's, uh, it's going to meet the, the expectations of people. Uh, is this possible? Uh, I'm not suggesting for getting up Whoop Up Drive, uh, but uh, downtown Lethbridge and so on, uh, is there any sense that... Uh, 
if we're going to be really greening things that we, we might, uh, might have to start looking at that particular approach. Actually, a couple of answers to one question. Um, first of all, the, uh, the, the average age of the buses in Lethbridge now is about five or six years. We just added five new ones. And uh, all of our uh, buses meet the environmental standards of the day. So uh, there's a new set of environmental uh, restrictions coming in on diesel engines in 2010, which will make even less. What we have found is that when we compare ourselves to the clunkers we took off the road five years ago, the amount of uh, pollution and environmental emissions, harmful environmental emissions coming out of the buses now is drastically reduced compared to the ones we, just, we replaced uh, just not that long ago. So uh, since a lot of our buses in Lethbridge are already almost state-of-the-art, definitely uh, the vast majority of them are five years old or younger, then uh, we are, uh, from the environmental side of things and greenhouse gases, emitting very little compared to what we used to. So in that regard, uh, the, we've got the latest technology on environmental emissions on our, on our vehicles right now as we speak. You're right about uh, streetcars. Absolutely expensive uh, to put down uh, back on the road. The, Toronto is the only uh, city in Canada right now that has streetcars. Vancouver went through a long discussion on trolley buses, which are electric buses, as to whether they should replace those or not. Edmonton has scrapped their trolley buses. The expense is unbelievable, and the hidden environmental cost is also the production of the electricity for the, the, uh, the, the engines to operate on. And uh, when you put that into consideration, particularly if you're looking at Alberta, where a lot of our electricity is coal-burned electricity, then we're not spewing the, the, the gases in the city, but where the, the power is produced is, is spewing a lot of junk into the sky. So um, in, in Lethbridge, uh, like most cities in the country, started out with electric railways, and there's very few of them left, and only one, in, and, and Vancouver is the only other electric uh, um, in Canada right now, electric buses. My name is Tad Mitsui. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. King, for this presentation. Uh, I did not own the car for 25 years until I got to uh, Lethbridge, Toronto, Montreal, and Geneva, Switzerland. And owning a car in those cities was absolutely uneconomical and inconvenient. Uh, we usually get stuck in the traffic, and the parking and everything else is so expensive, and we decided not to own the car. And we worked, at, uh, worked at just fine, used that public trans transit and the bicycles. Uh, it's not possible to do it here because infrequent services of public transit, uh, if you want to get there some place on time, it's very difficult. If you miss it, you have to, you have to wait half an hour. So my question is quite wild. Uh, I'm toying with the idea of making all public transit system free to services more frequent 
and uh, you tax the car owners more. London's doing it. And if you look at the uh, uh, example of Bogota, they don't spend any money on public automobile uh, infrastructure. They concentrate on spending money on public transit, uh, transit uh, infrastructure. And uh, I kind of have a feeling that if you tax car owners more, like London, as soon as you come into the city, you have to pay to get into the city. And if you count the amount of money city spends on servicing the infrastructure for cars, it might come out a winner. Even if there's more uh, frequent services, even all the buses are free, this is wild, I know. I'm a wild man, so I would like Tad? to know. <laughs> What's your question? Can we make bus service free? Can we make bus services more frequent? And adding to Ian's comment, maybe we should use the smaller buses to make it more frequent. Okay, the simple answer to all three questions is yes. Uh, <laughs> And like I tell my colleagues at City Hall, just send me the money and I can do it for you. Um, yeah, transit is, is expensive. Uh, on, on free transit, what we've found um, in, uh, in our studies across Canada is that the price to ride a bus is one of the, the lowest denominators in regards to people's deciding to ride. If it's free and it's not directed, it's not frequent, and it doesn't go where I want to go, I don't care if it's free or not, I'm not going to ride it. So uh, in terms of what, uh, assuming people are familiar with this, what, what really makes people want to ride transit, it's, it's direct. So I'm going north, and the bus is actually going north as opposed to going south and east and then going north. Uh, it's direct, and it's frequent. And somewhere down the line, the, the price, I mean, there is some sensitivity to the fares, but generally speaking, uh, fare is usually one of the last things people consider when they want to ride a bus. It's not the first thing. And so to do free, as, as you saw in the one slide, 35% um, of our uh, funding is, comes from the fare box. So if we were to go to free transit and do nothing else, then city council would have to find 35% more funding of $8 million just, just to come out even. So uh, to go to more frequent service, uh, definitely... That's what the Municipal Development Plan people are telling us through Planning Your City. They want more frequent service. Again, it, uh, it's just a matter of funding. And I keep joking, you'll send me the money. But, but really, that's what it comes down to. It's, it's the, uh, the, um, the costs of, of providing service. It's about $70 an hour for every hour of service out there. And so it's, uh, it's not cheap by any means. But if uh, the level of funding that a municipality or a city council gives is dependent on what they hear from the citizens. We want more transit and we're prepared to pay for it. City councils will listen to that. Um, taxing cars, um, the only example I know of in Canada, they tried it in Vancouver and uh, there was a huge backlash. Uh, they, they, had to, they wanted to have a, a TransLink was given, which the transportation authority for the whole community, roads, bridges, transit, air care, all those things. And they did have the legal authority to impose... Um, uh, a levy on automobiles when you re-register your, your, your plates. 
And of all the things they did, that was probably the one that had the most uh, backlash to, towards them, and they dropped it. So London, yeah, everyone understands. In Canada, it's probably a few years, decades, maybe down the road. In smaller cities, even further. Definitely it works. It does in London, but you need the congestion. Mr. King, I have a question. Kim Siever. Um, I've been a transit user here in Lethbridge for about 11 and a half years. First started out because I didn't have a vehicle. Now I'm a commuter user. I choose to take transit because it's more convenient for me. My question is, uh, my observation has been that the majority of the people who take transit are people who have no choice. They don't have a vehicle or access to a vehicle. But I've seen a, a small increase over the last few years of people who choose to take transit. And I'm just wondering if there's been anything um, from LA Transit in regards to promoting transit to users who, do, who don't need to take it, who would, it would simply be an option for them. Yeah, actually, uh, um, I do have a confession to make as well. Uh, in my introduction, you mentioned I, I did some consulting. Well, I actually did consulting six years ago here in Lethbridge. And believe it or not, I said to the LA Transit at the time, don't bother going after the commuter because I don't think there's a market there. And uh, now, now I'm running the place and I have to, have to look at it differently. But uh, getting the commuter is definitely the, the area that we're going to go ridership. Um, a, it, it helps us with, with the environment and everything else, but the, uh, uh, to have all of our regular customers just use transit more often to increase ridership just isn't sustainable. We need new people to ride and to continue riding. And so our, our challenge is, is to uh, get into uh, people's lifestyles and get into their, their heads and, and work with them. That's what we talked earlier about, a little bit of target marketing as opposed to, to blanket marketing and, uh, and working with those who are more inclined to, to want to use it. The commuter trip, as, as you know, Kim, is, is starting to grow, and we're, we're hoping to build on it. But we definitely have to do more than just say, transit's great, come on, ride with us. We, we, have, to, uh, we have to spend time with specific groups and, and work with them almost individually or, or as, as groups. And it's, uh, it's a long haul, but uh, definitely we've got the support. When I started here in, in 2005, my boss said, well, Let's just market the service and get more people riding it. Uh, unfortunately, when we looked at the system we had back then, I said to her, I can't market a bad product. What we have to do is we have to build it. And that's what we've done. That's what we've concentrated on the last, last five years is let's build a system that we can start marketing. As I mentioned earlier, we've increased the hours of service by there's 30% more transit service on the road now than there was five years ago. Now I think we're at the point that we can start trying to sell it. But until then... Our concentration was on, on just building something that's, that's attractive. And we thank you for writing the system before 2005, <laughs> when, it, when it wasn't the service that I could market. But uh, we think we have a, a product now that, uh, that can attract people. Now with the, the, the challenge is to go out and find them. Um, Austin Fennelin, thank you very much for your talk today. I think in many respects uh, you've achieved a very great deal, and... Uh, there's much to be proud of and appreciate the service that's there. But sometimes you have to wonder uh, what is really um, dominating the planning. Uh, on the west side where I live, there's really only one significant grocery store on the west side. And you're not in a very good position to go there to buy your groceries unless you've got a car. And there is, seems to be no end to the um, plans to build new roads and new housing areas and so on. So if the uh, 
high achievement of public transportation is the greater density areas. We're not working very well in that direction. Uh, well, what, who does, uh, what does determine the planning? Who is uh, making the dog's tail really wag? It's a good question. Um, there's, there's a series of, of people involved in, in the development of the city. Obviously, the city has, uh, has some controls with the land use bylaws and their long-range planning. Uh, a lot of development is done by, by the private sector, and let's face it, their job is to make money, and right now the, the, the market appears to be more single-unit uh, urban sprawls, what seems to be what people wanted to buy. Now, having said that, what I'm really encouraged by is the, uh, what the community is telling us through the Plan Your City campaign. And they're saying we don't want to continue doing this cookie-cutter neighborhoods where you have to have a car. The, the downtown Heart of the City Master can, uh, Plan also suggested let's make it a more pedestrian-friendly city. Let's, uh, and I like pedestrian-friendly because pedestrians are, uh, before they get on or off a bus, they're a pedestrian. So uh, the more pedestrian facilities we have that make walking uh, something people want to do, the more that helps public transit as well. So a lot of what we're hearing from the community is we don't want to continue sprawling the way we have. We want a different kind of city. And uh, uh, now the effort is, is so how do we get those who are actually building the city to, uh, uh, to see what, they, what can happen there. Um, we, we took a tour of a place called Garrison Woods in Calgary a couple of years ago. It used to be part of the the, uh, the armed forces base, and a group called Canada Lands, which is which is federal government, our money. Uh, they took a chance on a different kind of development, higher density, more walkable communities, uh, speed limits of 30 kilometers an hour on the roads because they were so narrow you couldn't do 50. And uh, they involved public transit in the planning. And uh, I toured it a couple of years ago with a bunch of people, including developers from the city, and and we were just amazed at what a beautiful, livable community it became. And the talk then was, how can we make that happen in Lathridge? And as part of the Plan Your City campaign, we're hoping to find ways to, to show uh, people who are uh, wanting to buy houses and, and uh, own their own homes in Lethbridge that there is an alternative and it is an attractive one. But that takes time. It's, it's a major shift from, from what happened. And we started building car-oriented cities in the 1950s, that was 60 years ago. So to go backwards, not backwards, I'm sorry, but to go back to more walkable, livable communities is will probably take us another 30, 40, 50, 60 years to get there. If I may have the liberty of a second question. Uh, there uh, seems to me inherent uh, frustrations in being planners for city transportation. What's the turnover in the upper levels of your management? <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can answer that <laughs> in, one, in one sense. It, the turnover is very low, but uh, uh, there are retirements. <laughs> I think my question's fast. It's Lisa Lambert. And um, you mentioned that the price of fare is not a particularly important one in people's choices to uh, ride. But I'm wondering if the price of gasoline is. And if you saw a change last year when we went to $1.20 a, a litre, and what you think uh, the level of the, the price of gasoline needs to get to before we see more ridership. It's almost like uh, how expensive does a pack of cigarettes have to become before I quit smoking? <laughs> uh, basically, uh, it, it's always 
uh, I, I remember, it's kind of funny, I remember a former transit manager I worked for, he loved cold days in the wintertime because more people rode the bus, and I thought, that's a sick way of looking at world because we always <laughs> like, we don't like cold winter days. But so the same thing, the higher it gets and the longer it stays, the better it is for public transit. The difficulty is it's so fluctuating. Um, and what, what if you're going to get rid of your second car or you're going to decide, I'm going to regularly ride public transit, that's a long-term plan as opposed to short-term. And, and uh, high gas prices tend to be short-term. And the experience we've had even in the last five years is, oh, my God, wait, I'd never pay that much. And let's hang in there. And it always comes down again. And so if you're going to make the decision to go, you've got to say to yourself, it's not going to come down. This is what it's going to be. Uh, as long as it keeps coming down after it goes up, then it's really difficult to get people to change their, their travel behaviors because well, it's all right out this storm and it'll, it'll come back and it'll be back down again. So when we get a carbon tax, we'll get a change. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. We have time for one more question. Uh, Dwayne Bendergast, you uh, talked a little bit about emissions and sustainability. About a decade ago, we heard a lot about uh, hydrogen fuel and emissions-free. That seems to have kind of gone by the wayside. Haven't heard much about that lately. We hear a lot about hybrid cars now, and uh, it seems uh, buses would be a good application for hybrid vehicles. Uh, could you comment on those two two technologies as a means to a sustainable future? Absolutely. Um, one of the jokes I keep saying is that we'll have hydrogen fuel cell buses in 10 years, and I've been saying that for 10 years. It's always 10 years into the future. Um, having said that, um, keep your eye on, on Whistler during the Olympics. There is a fleet of hydrogen fuel cell buses being used in, in Whistler in, in February. Um, it's, it's still an emerging technology. Uh, I like to think that it will be the answer uh, for alternate fuel in the future. It's just taking longer and longer to develop than, than a lot of people had hoped for in the past. But there is an experiment with it, and, and definitely we're, we're keeping our eye on it. The, the hybrid bus is, uh, it does, um, does have potential, but uh, one of the first things we looked at in, in uh, Lethbridge, we bought uh, about 21 buses in the last two, three years and our fleet's only 40, so we replaced half of our buses. The price to purchase the hybrid bus right now is about one and a half times the price to, to purchase a, a regular diesel bus. So when we looked at trying to upgrade our fleet, lower our emissions, provide accessible transportation to the community, we could buy 16 regular buses or 10 hybrids and still have six little clunkers on the road. So our decision was to uh, purchase vehicles that are more state-of-the-art for our customers, more accessible for our customers, and, uh, and definitely better in regards to the environment than the ones we're replacing. So that was our decision up till now. Uh, now we're in really good shape. We're still looking at the premium of about another one and a half times. So if we're going to buy five buses, we can only buy three hybrids. Definitely that's, that's always there. Thankfully, the federal government through the gas tax is helping us an awful lot in purchasing buses, but still, uh, they are expensive. What we're finding in terms of the life of the bus in regards to fuel savings, you might regain the difference in costs over the life of a bus, which is about 18 years. 
So uh, with the new uh, environmental um, regulations coming through on diesel engines from 2010 and beyond, some of the gaps that we used to see between hybrid and, and diesel is, is actually compressing, and yet the price is still high. So um, definitely we would buy them from the point of view of uh, they are more state-of-the-art, they are more environmentally friendly, but uh, we have to also have to look at the trade-offs of, of, of the cost and how much difference is it in fuel consumption and how much difference is it in emissions. And the advantage is disappearing as the technology of the diesel engine is continuing. Will we see hybrid buses in, in Lethbridge in the next five years? Probably. But uh, those are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves when making those decisions. And hydrogen buses, 10 years from now. <laughs> Took a year. <laughs> well, thank you, Mr. King. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for attending today and for your questions. We hope to see you all out next week. Thank you. Thank you.